Thanks for downloading this podcast. podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLeMans.com. The world's longest running motorsport magazine show, Midweek Motorsport. News, features, special guests and analysis from the experts. Formula One, sports car and endurance racing, rallying, touring cars and bikes. If it has wheels and an engine and they keep score, it's on Midweek Motorsport. Hello everybody and welcome along to Midweek Motorsport. I'm John Hindorf. This is Series 10, Episode 9. It's Wednesday, March the 4th. Uh, the Beardy Alonso not driving in this one either. And up in London, we say good evening to our executive producer, who is Tim Gray. Good evening, Tim. You almost hesitated there, as if you what? didn't know who I was. Don't. It's a long story. It's a very long story. Alongside me, just it's to my right... as long as Alonso's beard. Uh, it will be by the time he gets back in a car again. We nailed well, that one, didn't we? We know Ron Dennis doesn't like uh, facial hair, so do we think this is the reason? Yes. Could I, well I think be. I have to stick out my fellow bearded. Hang on, we're all bearded at well, the moment. Yes, you've, you've already said you're going you're to shave it off for your, your forthcoming camera appearance. I shall be keeping, I should wear mine proudly next weekend. Will you? In 10 days' time. We're getting off next. Okay. Uh, that is, of course, Nick Damon, our Formula One correspondent, uh, who joins us tonight to talk beards. <laughs> well, there's no joke in there at all, uh, and also this is Rock Hudson. There we are There's on the one. line, on the line from uh, uh, GGHQ, an agent of Shed, the uh, sports car headquarters endurance directorate. It is Graham Goodwin, editor of DailySportsCar.com. Good evening, Graham. Good evening, everybody apart from John. <laughs> <laughs> um, a big, it's a big, big news uh, week this week. We are going to try and get everything in. We've got some liquid soap and a shoehorn. Marshall Pruitt is live for us at Sebring in the second hour of tonight's programme. We'll be talking Porsche Curves. Uh, We'll be talking Jota and a new driver for them, Simon Dolan, and the new driver in his first and exclusive interview uh, with us here on uh, Midweek Motorsport. And we'll peel off another layer of the LMP2 2017 story as Hugh Deshaunak grants us time and an exclusive interview and the sports car world want us to talk to the sports car world they talk on the record to midweek motorsport that's all to come in the next two hours but Graham we start off with some sad news tonight the co-founder of Marcos uh, Jem Marsh uh, founded that company in 1959 along with Frank Costin of course who died in 1995 sadly uh, Jem has uh, has died this week uh, yeah, the all too young age of 84. Um, yeah, you're absolutely right, John, co-founder of uh, that famous make. And, uh, you know, one of those makes that brought an awful lot of us to sports car racing. Heard the news through my friend and colleague, Marcus Potts, responsible for one of my favourite ever race car liveries, which was on a Marcus, my first favourite car seen live at Le Mans, the Marcus Adam 500 in 1995. And, uh, you know, Jem had a... Uh, well, long, I mean, nearly, almost 50-year association with the Marcus Mark, on and off, a couple of periods where he wasn't directly involved. But uh, let's not forget either, not just the man behind the company, but uh, a race driver himself. And just for a moment, 
just consider this 140 plus miles an hour down the Molzan Strait in a mini Marcos. That is the kind of bloke that Jim Marsh was, and he will be sorely missed. I mean, it's a fantastic story, isn't it? Frank Costin, as I said, it, uh, left us in 95, died in 95. Frank Costin, just proving that that link between motor racing and aeronautics, worked on the de Havilland Mosquito. And it's, I, I don't know if this is an apocryphal story, but it's said, because that was, of course, a wooden aircraft, um, almost a stealth aircraft before stealth aircraft were were invented because of its low radar signature. It's said that his work on that with wooden airframes was what inspired uh, the wooden chassis on the Morgans. Um, uh, I think that's probably true. I've heard it uh, certainly repeated before. Now, it's rather odd, isn't it? There's two weeks on the trot, John, that we've talked about. I know. Uh, people who've left us that have um, started their career in aeronautics with Gerard de Carouge and the missile side of uh, Matra, um, you know, uh, losing his life last year, uh, last week. And, uh, and on we moved to, to Jem Marsh this week and talking about his uh, friend and colleague, uh, Frank Cost. Costin. It's very sad, isn't it? Um, but, you know, a life well lived and, uh, you know, a certainly a CV to look back on and be proud of. And uh, I think certainly our thoughts with Chris, his son, who uh, became responsible, of course, for the um, for the mark. And am I right that Chris went on? Wasn't Chris involved and in charge of the car that became the Genetta G50, G60? Uh, yes, he was. He absolutely was. Um, the Marcos name has been taken on by a gentleman called, I think, Chris Brown, and it's gone back to Wales, funny enough, which is where it all started back in 1959. And we haven't heard anything for a couple of years about that. It would be great to see the Marcos name back. I interviewed Jim probably two or three times. He was never anything other than a complete gentleman in every sense of the word, a gentleman who was a gentleman, and he will be much, much missed and much mourned in sports car paddocks uh, all around the world and of course our condolences go out to his friends and family uh, Jem Marsh who died uh, this it was in fact I think it was today actually uh, so um, yesterday, yesterday yesterday excuse me thank you Graham okay. um, let's move on lots to fit in tonight um, sorry to have to start on such sad news and our role of honour at Le Mans this year is going to be um, rather too long and have rather too many very um, memorable names on it um, however it would be uh, Certainly, Jem would be the first one to berate us if we didn't say that the sport carries on. And indeed, in LMP2, the sport has carried on, Graham, and we've had some new LMP2 cars seeing the light of day for the first time this week. Well, yeah, principally, the one that uh, has been all over uh, the internet is the new Orica 05. And I think I'm right in saying you've got Hugh on the on the show a little later, haven't you? Yeah, we've got Hugh coming up. Spoke to him earlier on today, and we'll play that interview in, in a moment. And it's yep. it's very interesting. Um, you need to sit down with a cup of your favourite beverage and listen to that. The, the intel coming out of that, Graham, is that car is very, very slippery in a straight line and is putting down some very quick lap times. Yep. Well, my little mole at the uh, at the test, and thank you very much, little mole. You know who you are. Um, tells me that the car is already. Bear in mind, this was a rollout. This wasn't. Mm. This was the first time this car had actually turned a wheel, and was already on the pace of a current spec Orica 03R. Wow. Uh, was quicker in a straight line, and I think completed 500 kilometres on its first day. That's pretty extraordinary stuff. And, it's more than um, a rollout, that isn't it? That's I mean, it's 500 kilometres is a proper test. Now we'll get our first chance to actually see the car in the carbon, not the one that was actually being tested. The, the KCMG car was the first one to turn a wheel, but we'll see the Tyrrell by TDS car 
um, at the LMS test before we get to see the KCMG car. And those tests, John, I mean, I was totting it up a little earlier, an extraordinary number of new and heavily revised LMP Mm. uh, cars. I, I think I'm right in saying 10 new or heavily revised LMP cars will have their, in effect, their media debut um, live at the ELMS and FIWEC test. Plus, by the way, the European debuts of both the uh, HPD Coupe mm. and the BMW Z4 GTE. Qu- quite remarkable. Um, and as Graham rightly said there, we... Uh, I've got to say thank you to everyone involved for setting this up, including Graham. Got the chance uh, earlier on this afternoon to speak to Hugh de Shornak. Yes, of course, we've asked about the 2017 proposals, and uh, this is the first time that someone who was represented in that meeting uh, at Daytona has spoken on the record, and of course, they've come to Midweek Motorsport to do it. But before we got to that, it's only right and proper that we should ask about the new car. And the first thing I asked Hugh de Shornak, the man at the top of Orica, was if it was still as exciting for him rolling out a brand new car or was it somewhat now after all these years pretty much an everyday occurrence no i i, I think you know it's uh, uh, it's always uh, it's always a big uh, moment <laughs> of when, course uh, yeah new course. car it, uh, is coming and uh, mainly it's uh, uh, we start by uh, we have built a very good LMP2 with the 03 uh, five years ago, and this car was uh, very still uh, still very competitive. Has won many races last year. Has won the world championship, etc. So to do the new model of car on the 05, it's uh, really a big uh, satisfaction. Uh, because it's um, just a special, always a special moment. It's a little, uh, I cannot say it's l- like a baby, but, uh, you <laughs> know, it's uh, its uh, something that uh, for all the people in the company, the designer, the production guys, it's uh, when everything is, uh, when this car is on the, the track, uh, it's a real uh, special moment. Uh, is the 05U um, a big departure from the 03 is it is it an evolution rather revolution how how many differences uh, will will people well not necessarily see how many differences are there under the skin particularly as well is it a different philosophy in design it's uh, the big difference it's sure open car and closed car Yes, of course. Uh, that's uh, that's sure. And secondly, I think that there there are between uh, between three and five percent of common parts, which means that the car is completely new. It's a completely new concept, also because uh, since five years there is a big evolution in uh, racing car, and in the same time we have got a big experience uh, with the first with Rebellion last year, and with all what we, our technical staff has uh, learned from the LMP1, generally speaking. So it's really a big evolution. It's a very modern car. Uh, that we have uh, that we have built you know it's uh, it's not a one year car it's we know that this car has to be very efficient for the three to five coming years and so it's really a complete new car Uh, and have you been able to carry forward anything specific from 
rebellion or is it mainly just the lessons that you learned whilst you were designing the rebellion p1 car no it's uh, it's really different because it's an lmp2 uh, first, because secondly, because uh, we have to respect the cost cap, and uh, as uh, we are a, a normal company, we have to be inside because uh, the financial people are there uh, with the, the the design office to remind them uh, when they want to to produce an expensive part. So it's a different car. But the concept, the technical concept, the the the, the aero package, it's uh, the what is a complete modern one and the last thing that we are able to to do. The the car, from what I have been told, had a very successful. Uh, uh, test rollout even it wasn't even a, a full test and, and is already very very quick particularly in a straight line I, I don't expect you to give me figures but you must be very happy that such a new car is already performing to such a high standard yeah I think we are really happy we have not tried to to do the best lap definitively because it was not the target the target was the first target was mainly to see if the car is immediately well balanced and if the driver are confident in the car or if they found uh, some, uh, some mistake. That was uh, really the first step, which is very important. And the result is car very well balanced, good balance on the car everywhere on the track. So that was very good. The second step is with a such well-balanced car if the car is fast enough. And the second step is also the car is uh, quick. As I told you, we are not trying to be the quickest, but we want to see if immediately we are at the same level that the zero three, which was the case uh, on at the end of uh, day one. So if at the end of day one, you are immediately at the level of the O3, it's very positive because that means that day two, day three, etc., you are going to be better and better. The um, future of LMP2 uh, is looks bright at the moment. We have eight, nine manufacturers who want to, to come and play. The proposal from 2017 is that that will be reduced to four manufacturers. Um, Simon Dolan earlier on in this programme saying that the teams haven't been consulted and he would he would rather it was left the way it is so people have a greater choice. Um, what is what is your view as Hugh de Schoenach and, and what is your view as the man who heads up one of the manufacturers? More choice is good or less choice is a better business proposition? No, I think it's uh, the F FIA and ACO, they, seek on the, they are thinking on the economical uh, uh, situation. And really, I think that uh, it's better to have only a small number of car manufacturers uh, because at that moment, it's really a commercial car. And that is to avoid that a team is uh, building just a car for himself and coming with two cars to try to beat everybody, which is not the, uh, the, the purpose of the LMP2. 
by selecting only four car manufacturers, that means that you any team is becoming a, a team championship, and any team have the choice between th- four manufacturers, and that is, is to, as I told you, is to avoid that somebody is uh, building a car only for himself. Can, can that not be achieved, Hugh, by more stringent application of the current cost cap regulations and forcing people to make cars available commercially? No, 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 because I think it's uh, the, the good way to try to, to um, control the cost because if a team is uh, building his own car for only his own team how can you control the cost cap you know because he's not selling the car he's just using the car he can build the car uh, to uh, one million uh, each car Mm. but nobody can control because he's not selling his car Uh, and do you think then that if there are only four manufacturers the as we would say in English the economies of scale will allow the cost cap to be lowered we've heard 30% uh, mentioned I, I'm not sure that that is, is possible no, on the no, current no. that is not uh, is not the right number and uh, this is not the case it will not be the case because already it's very very difficult to do a car in the actual cost cap of 450 and it will not be re- this number will not be reduced definitively. Is it possible that the cost cap with the coupes would go up even with just four manufacturers? Uh, th- that the cost cap will be higher, you mean? Yes, sir. No, no, no. I think it will very probably stay around this number. I think. From a business point of view, and I know you are a keen businessman, we have had this conversation before, Hugh, and is it um, the situation of having four manufacturers, presumably you would tender to the ACO and the FIA um, for part of that business. But if you are a manufacturer of a chassis, you cannot then do an engine. You guys do both at the moment. Is, is that a worry for you? Uh, yes, or yes and not, because uh, it's part of the rule, and we know that if we are chassis manufacturer, we will uh, stop our engine uh, side on the LMP2, this is a part of uh, the game, and uh, in the LMP3, it was the same rule, and we have decided to do the tender only for the engine and excluding the chassis side, you know. So it's, it's part of the rule, so we, are, we have not to discuss uh, it, you know, and we understand it. Yes, uh, of course. And presumably for LMP2, you would be... Uh, you would be part of the chassis side, not the engine. Is that correct? That's correct. Absolutely. It, it makes perfect sense, Hugh. Of course, that is. Yeah. Uh, it's mm. you have so many cars out there uh, already. What um, What do you think uh, would be the future then for this uh, this new proposal? It is clearly being talked about quite seriously at the moment. Um, we talk about 2017, Hugh, as if, as if it was a, a long time away. But to make these kind of decisions, 
uh, not only for all the teams, but for the four manufacturers concerned, these decisions have to be made, what, by the, maybe by the end of this year? Oh, no, it will be taken before. It will be taken uh, maximum. uh, uh, We have requests that uh, the decision has to be taken uh, during the coming summer, and I hope that uh, it will be really decided between June and July. And what is your understanding of what the next part of the process will be for this uh, new proposal? Uh, we have there is a new meeting uh, at the end of the month uh, with all the the team, the, the the car manufacturers generally with ACUNA and FIA and we will know more at that moment during this new meeting. And w- do you expect that any licensing or franchise costs that you would have to? Uh, be part of to be one of the four manufacturers would that have to be passed on um, on a chassis by chassis basis to the teams that were buying them it's too early to too early to to say that we have to see when uh, we will know exactly all the regulation you know it's too early to to know exactly what we are going to to do and how we are going to manage it I'd like to, Hugh. Thank you very much for being so candid with us uh, on on this on this point. As I'm sure you know, there's been a lot of discussion uh, about this. Not always with people having the full facts. So I really sure. I really appreciate you uh, coming on and talking about uh, talking about that. Um, I'd like to finish talking about your new car because it has been such a successful uh, rollout uh, for you. Um, Looking at the current specification of that car, um, it seems clear to me, even in these early days, that the P2 cars are going to be quicker uh, this year, and that should take them away from the the GTE cars and separate them a little bit. Surely that's good news for everybody, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, sure something uh, that... uh will be uh, uh, I mean a, a good way to 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 do to do that but in the same time we there will not be a big difference between uh, 14 LMP2 and 15 LMP2 we have just to uh, for the moment uh, it's uh, we know that the 15 perhaps the new car will be a little quicker but they will not be very much quicker you understand what i mean yes i understand uh, the differentiation is not going to be a a, a large uh, a large amount um Hugh, yes. thank, you, thank you very much indeed for joining us uh, this evening it's a it's very kind of you to take some of your uh, time out of your very uh, busy Dear, um, a couple of quick no, questions. No. A couple of quick final questions that um, the listeners have been asking um, about yeah. about the new proposals for P2 and LMP3. Do, does this new proposal for a more spec style P2 series does that affect? Do you think the current uh, regulations going forward for for LMP3 does it put those in jeopardy? Uh, sorry, can you repeat the question? The 
the move to to go towards a more controlled LMP2 chassis and engine and tyre solution, does that uh, conflict at all with the new LMP3 regulations? No, 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 I don't think at all because it's really two different cars. LMP3 is the first step, it's a small car, uh, and LMP2, it's really a different car, much more sophisticated and uh, with, um, uh, with in the future uh, a powerful, in, more powerful engine probably. So I think it's really two different formula, definitely. And there will only be four um, authorised chassis constructors, CCs, for LMP2. If Orica were not to be chosen as one of those, um, and you have already said that you would put the engine thing to one side, do you guys have enough business to continue without producing LMP2 chassis? What would it mean for Orica if you were not one of the three non-US chassis constructors? Uh, to be honest, between you and me, I cannot imagine that we are not selected. I'll, I, I, I understand. <laughs> I no, and I think that's a very honest answer, Hugh. Thank you very much yeah. indeed. We wish you all the best as always and look forward to seeing you down at the, the WEC prologue soon. Thank you so much and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Hugh Deshaunak talking to Midweek Motorsport earlier uh, today. The reference to Simon Dolan in that interview, we'll get to that interview uh, later on. But the content, I think, of that interview um, warranted that being earlier in the show. Graham Goodwin was listening to that. And we've had a little discussion about this, Graham, um, after we spoke to Hugh. First of all, uh, you, you've got to say credit to Hugh and the guys at Orica for being prepared to come on and talk about it because very few other people have done. Uh, yeah, um, I, I'll admit to being slightly surprised. I mean, we know Hugh well. Uh, he is an absolute gentleman. He's a total enthusiast. But as you quite rightly nailed down there, first and foremost, he's a businessman. And that's clearly what this is all about. It's about sustainability. And, you know, I can see that argument, but I, I'm of the opinion that I think this is a very, very blunt weapon. Uh, he was very honest, particularly at the end. The 500,000, half a million, half a billion, I don't know. What will it be, question, Euro question, if Orica don't get to be one of the maximum of three European chassis manufacturers, what would it mean to them? He says, I can't see that happening. Well, I mean, I think there's, there's two, two ways you can look at it. You can take the cynics view, and I'll come to that in a moment, so you can take the realistic view. Reality is they are one of the predominant current manufacturers, and you would expect in current numerical terms, if nothing else, them to be very high on that list. But, but that shouldn't stand for anything, Graham, should it? Bingo, that's exactly right. That's part of the problem, is you cannot have a predominant market force dictating policy for an open market, and that, I think, is the problem with the current proposal. Uh, Hugh gives pretty clear in, in, in his responses to your questions. I'm not quite going to uh, say that uh, he was assuming it's a fait accompli, but it was 
wasn't far wrong, uh, far off it, was it? And that does rather worry me. You know, we should not be bulldozing through proposals that could cost people business and could cost people their jobs. I'm going to be, um, I'm going to put something out there that's been asked by Richard Leach, uh, Leach on At Speculative. Richard Timmons. Leach, please. I always do that. Hello, Richard. He said, I wonder if his answer to the P2P3 question would be the same if he'd entered the LMP3 marketplace. We thought it was odd that Orica hadn't entered the LMP3 marketplace, but at that stage, we didn't know about the LMP2 proposals, did we? We didn't, but I think in any case, bearing in mind where uh, Hughes' uh, strength is in the marketplace, they have two factories, the one that you and I have visited, John, uh, just uh, two kilometres mm-hmm. away from the Paul Ricard track, and the other one at Maggie Core, which uh, produces drivetrains. And of course, with P3, and at the moment an indeterminate number of P3s uh, on the way, it's a pretty smart move for him to, if you like, mop up the opportunity that that gives them for all the business, if you like, rather than a proportion of the business. Uh, but uh, it may very well be that he didn't know exactly which way this was no. going to go with LMP2 at that stage. Quick final thing on this, and then I want to talk about the car before we move on to Jota, which is the other uh, big story coming through uh, here today on Midweek Motorsport. The uh, timescale that Hugh mentioned there, he wants it, you know. He thinks it needs to be done by June and July, um, in terms of the chassis manufacturers. We know from the proposal that the engine deal might not be done by then, which will make life a little bit difficult. Um, again, I'm going to play devil's advocate. Given that the teams have not had a voice on this yet, and we'll hear from Simon Dolan about that in a, in a few moments' time, um, is this an, not indecently quick to have had this put out there? Discussed at one meeting when not everyone was there. Discussed again in the end of March when presumably everybody will be there. Doesn't leave a lot of wiggle room to shave the edges off this or make any changes. Are we looking at something where it is effectively a fait accompli and this is going through whatever anybody thinks? Well, I think I'd say this, John. Um, We've got a lot of new cars coming. Uh, Just in, in the coming weeks, we've got... The Stracker Dome will make its public debut. The SMP car, which I think was very much the car that was in uh, Hugh's sights in those comments about cars being built, not really for commercial use, etc. We've got the HPD having just made its um, its debut, and I think there's serious doubts as to the future of that program with a common engine, uh, you know, um, proposal in the rear. Um, it, <sighs> I think it is indecently quick. I actually think it's outrageous. I'll be absolutely honest with you. I think there's there's a lot of common sense here. With all those new cars actually about to hit the track, why are we making a decision before they've been able to show what they're able to do in performance terms? I think that, you know, this is 2017 regulations. Yes, you need to make a rapid decision. But why are you making a decision in the immediate aftermath of, in effect, the second or third race that some of those cars would have run? That's not right. Um, you are condemning to death at least two and probably more current LMP2 programs. That, to me, is not the role of the governing body. It should be for the marketplace to determine that. And at that point, once the marketplace has determined that, then by all means have the debates, but do not force people to bid for their commercial lives simply weeks after they've made uh, they've delivered on the investment they've made in putting their very first cars on track. That, to me, seems just a nonsense. 
we've still got three years left of the guaranteed six-year life of the current cars. So one presumes that in 17, anyway, the um, the current cars would have to be grandfathered in, uh, at least until 18. But that's something that we just don't know yet at the moment. Graham, stay with us. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. Hugh Deshaunak already been with us on the show tonight in an interview recorded this afternoon. When the sports car world wants to talk to the sports car world, they choose Midweek Motorsport. It's John Hindoff and the rest of the team here. And one of the new cars, or at least new iterations of cars, that Graham was talking about there in the LMP2 paddocks that we'll see in the next few weeks, is Nee Zytek, now Gibson, uh, in the hands of Jota Sport. A couple of weeks ago, we told you that uh, Felipe Albuquerque would be back with the team. There's another driver announcement that has uh, come out today. More of that in a moment. Simon Dolan joined us on the phone on uh, Monday of this week, taking time out from a very busy schedule when uh, we managed to grab hold of him. And before I asked him about all of the new developments, I thought it was only right to talk about the fantastic achievements of 2014. No, we couldn't really have asked for uh, an ask for an awful lot more could we i mean we uh, uh yeah i mean from the the kind of lower silverstone to uh to coming back and doing what we did and then you know the end of the season sort of tailing off a, a little bit for us you know we uh, we didn't have the best of races at ricard or Estoril really but still coming second in the championship to what was essentially an all-pro lineup we were um we were really happy and of course the win at the moment was you know, you'd take that any time over the championship. So, yeah, a really, really special year. We spoke, what, a couple of weeks ago now to, last week, uh, to to Sam and to Felipe, um, confirming that he's back on board for everything bar sport and Le Mans with his Audi uh, commitments. Decisions had to be made during the winter, clearly, because you'd lost Harry Tinknell to, to bigger and brighter things. And congratulations to you on bringing on that young talent. A, a, th- a thought on Harry, first of all. Clearly, you're going to miss him this year, but you can't begrudge him going on to, to Nissan. Oh, we couldn't be happier. I mean, it was, it, it, you know, personally, Harry's a good friend now. Uh, I didn't know him, you know, from anybody at the start of the year and then just gradually through the course of the year, you know, you get to know one another that much better. And he's just, as you know, you know, you've spoken to him a lot. He's just such a lovely lad, such a nice person to be around. And, you know, he showed what he was capable of last season. And I think he's really going to set LMP1 alight. He's going to be, for me anyway, he'll be the quickest of the um, Nissan drivers for sure. Um, yeah, there's there's an awful lot to Harry. So yeah, we couldn't really couldn't be happier for him, and we still keep in touch. You know, and it'd be great to see him around the uh, around the track. So cl- clearly, then with with Harry gone, uh, Felipe on board with a couple of races that you're going to need to fill in. But you need someone for the full season. How do you go about then? Before you tell us who it is, which is what I, we are going to talk about in a moment, how do you go about looking at the talent that's out there? And presumably, your phone was ringing, yours and Sam's. You've you've proved yourselves to be a very capable and competitive team. Yeah, I mean, we're in a happy situation um, this season where we have an awful lot of drivers, um, you know, ringing, uh, ringing Sam up and ringing me up as well about, about drives. And, you know, luckily enough, we, were, uh, we had the pick, of, the pick of pretty much everybody, I think, this year. So, uh, yeah, and, and it's proved, you know, we, 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 run a good, uh, we run a good reliable car. Um, and I think we're a nice kind of family team to be around as well, which really helps. Um, so, uh, yeah, we're, uh, we were in a very fortunate position this year. 
So a decision has been taken, and who is going to be on board? Now, this is for the full season. We're not talking about the, the, the sub-4, Spa, WEC, and the Le Mans 24 hours when Felipe is on Audi duty. This is somebody who you are going to be a partner with for the whole season. So a clearly very important part of the team, and it is? Yeah, hugely important. And the uh, uh, the guy that we're lucky enough to have joining with us this year is a guy called Nick Yellowley, which you'll recognise, I think, mm. probably from... Um, single seater days, you know, hugely quick driver. Um, reminded us all very much of, of Harry, actually, the first time he got in the car. So, um, yeah, very, very proud and very pleased to have him on board. It's again, as you've mentioned there, someone who's come up from single seaters. I remember him particularly in Formula Renault UK. He's had a what, what one might call an old-fashioned, uh, a traditional run through his apprenticeship, uh, started karting only back in 2005, which probably makes you and certainly makes me feel very very old indeed but he's been up through gp3 and through 3.5 and these are the skills and we've talked about this before simon these are the skills that make for very good lmp2 drivers they certainly seem to um and i think what the guys find when they get out of a single seater is, is that they're expecting um the lmp2 car to be you know kind of heavier and slower and, and a bit lethargic but when they get in they're really quite surprised as how um, similar really it is to uh, to an F3 car and, uh, and it just seems to be a lovely uh, a lovely transition for them and we've seen it so many times with uh, single seater drivers coming over and being you know, almost instantly quick in uh, in a sports car and then of course the trick from there is is learning how to navigate the slower traffic and so on which there was, you go um, yeah. you know which is which is a different a whole different leap and of course you know there's lots of people that are very quick and we can all name them from last season lots of people who are quick around one lap but um, it's very not so difficult being quick around one lap, but it is very difficult being quick um, on average, and that's really where the uh, where the wins come in and where the skill comes in. And, and how, how quickly then is it planned to get him, I guess, integrated in, into the team as soon as possible, get him out in the car, start doing some testing, or have you guys already done a little bit of uh, business behind closed doors? We, we have, yeah. He's been out in the car uh, a couple of times now and, uh, and got to grips with it. Uh, very quickly, really. Um, so uh, yeah, it's it's looking good. As I say, it's very uh, very similar to when Harry got in the car um, last season. So if if he goes as well as Harry did, then we'll be uh, we'll be really happy, I think, and I think he will as well. Yeah, I'm sure you will be. This little to to use as a Jackie Stewart phrase, this staircase of talent coming up through through single seaters and and in LMP2, that that is very quickly through yourselves and other people becoming. I think a real shop window for young drivers. Is that what LMP2 should be? Do you think, Simon, going forwards? I think really it's probably come because of how silly things have got in Formula One. I mean, I don't think that there's any driver who would, you know, choose LMP2 or LMP1 even actually over a top a top flight Formula One car. So I think that's still the pinnacle. But of course, it's just. You know, you can't. It doesn't matter really these days how much talent you have. You ain't going to get in unless you've also got infinite sums of money. And even then, it, it, it's certainly not guaranteed. Um, and so I think when you know, let's face it, it's usually the dads that are funding these kids that are going in single seaters. And when you've got a choice out of paying, you know, maybe what is it now, two, two and a half million or something to do a season in GP2, yeah. with no, no guarantee whatsoever at the end of it, um, or you know, depending on what sort of deals are out there, but, you know, a quarter of that amount or less than a quarter of that amount to get a full in, um, uh, in LNP2 and uh, and also do the best race in the world, you know, Le Mans. Yes. Um, and showcase yourself in front of manufacturers. 
all of whom have jobs going for drivers, mm. um, unlike Formula One. So, um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a it's a logical step, and it I think we'll see more and more and more um, single-seater drivers coming over into sports cars for sure. I mean, it's interesting to see Max Chilton ending up with um, um, with uh, Nissan, and presumably he had the choice of going to Indy or staying with uh, Marussia or whatever, but he's chosen to go um, to go with Nissan. So. Well, quite I thought it was interesting what Felipe said when we spoke to him. It's much better to be racing than just to be testing. Yeah, I do as well. I mean, you know, these guys, they're racing drivers. They're not test drivers. They're racing drivers and they want to go out and race. They don't particularly want to go and, you know, sit at Ricard and do a 36-hour test, being on the track on their own, just banging out the laps, mm. lap after lap after lap after lap. You know, there's there's an element of that being the job, but of course that, you know, it needs to lead to racing um, yes. because that's where the fun is. And, uh, and yeah, and uh, so sports cars, again, it's, it's the ideal um, ideal opportunity, isn't it? LMP2. Let's, let's quickly look forward to, to this season. The upgrades from last year's car, not the least we see it now, called a Gibson. How much of that is just a name change and how much has, has gone on? How much development? It's, uh, it's, looking, it's looking pretty good, I think. We've... Uh, we, we, there's no real radical changes on the car at all. Um, you know, the, the, the chassis has always been very good. And, and most importantly, of course, it's always been very reliable. Um, so there's not huge amounts that we want to change on it. But there was obviously, it, it, our car came out of homologation um, last year. So there's a few little things that we could do, which we have done, that we knew would find that time. And, um, and which in testing look as though, look as though they have done. So we're in a, we think we're in a pretty good place. Um, the, the, the engineers have got a few more um, toys to play with in terms of setup, but of course it very much comes down to what everybody else has been up to over the winter with their cars, yep. and um, and then what the new ones are going to be looking at. You know, we're um, you've got the uh, the Stracker car, the Dome, for example, which we're not going to be racing against directly, of course, um, in LMS, but we will be at um, at Le Mans and at Spa. Um, so we just don't know. We no one's got any data on that, so we don't really know what to expect. But of course, what we know is, is that we're going to be reliable, yes. unlike uh, you know maybe the newer the newer chassis, which are going to have teething problems, as we saw at Le Mans last year. Really, yeah. I said it was nearly a perfect year last year. Winning Le Mans makes it a great year, whatever else has gone on. But you didn't win the championship that you were involved with, the ELMS. Yeah, I think it's unfinished business. We all felt as though we should have won last year, and we didn't for for whatever reason, um, a self-inflicted reason, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, that, that's unfinished business. But, again, if, if I had a choice, um, you know, if you said to me, well, you can have the championship or win Le Mans again, nah, I'd snatch a hand off for Le Mans <laughs> every time, every time. And there's a lot of people on the Midweek Motorsport Listeners Collective who's just had a little collective cheer about that. I, and I'm not in any way, and I know you're not being detrimental to the ELMS at all, but uh, it's gonna, it's going to be... Another competitive season, though, Simon. Nothing, by no means, is, is anything cut and dried. Some new people, some new cars, uh, some new challenges for you guys this year. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be, from our point of view, you know, it's just going to be fantastically interesting. It, it's going to be, uh, I suppose, interesting to see what happens at, um, at Ricard in the official test at, at the end of the month, um, just to see where everybody's at. But we know there's going to be a bit of sandbagging going on. So really, the first time we're going to find out is, is at the race at Silverstone in April. Mm. Um, and we know our cars quick around there and we all know the track reasonably well. So, you know, we should be okay. But who knows, you know, maybe the Ligier's found a couple of seconds over the yeah. winter or maybe one of the new chassis turns out to be epic and, you know, maybe we'll be off. Maybe 
you just don't know. It's so a lot of new drivers coming in, a couple of new teams. It's really, really interesting, really interesting. And this year as well with, um, uh, you know, with a lot more entries in WEC and that looking a lot more competitive um, from our point of view because we're racing on the same, um, same weekend at Silverstone. Uh, that'll be quite an interesting comparison for us in terms of lap times and so on for, for when we go to Le Mans and Spa. At Spa, we've, we know that it's already confirmed by you. spoke to Sam about that and that the press release is long out, so we're not giving anything away there. Um, that's obviously a great warm-up for Le Mans. Were you tempted or are you still tempted with the addition of another WEC race in Europe at the Nürburgring to, to stick a little wildcard entry into that? Yeah. Um, if it comes down to calendars, really. I mean, I don't know what the date is for, uh, for that, but it's... You know, the guys have such a hard job um, building and rebuilding the car every time we go to a race to, mm. to, to stick another race in um, in the European leg of, of, of work, I think, would be quite difficult. Um, but, yeah, if the opportunity comes, of course, we want to go out racing and it's only relatively around the corner, so maybe it's something we could look at, but not sure yet. LMP2 looks like it's in for a big set of changes come 2017. The teams haven't been asked anything. The manufacturers have been, and they're working, and they're talking. Nobody's asked the teams yet. If they did, what would you say? Um, I'd kind of leave them. I'd tend to leave well alone. I think we, you know, we're not very very many years away from um, from having six cars out, at, or five cars. Out. We had at Donington one year, didn't we, in 2012 or something, and the whole series was collapsed. It just didn't finish they canned it and that was that wasn't very long ago and now we're in a fantastic position where we've got so many cars so many good drivers um in both the lms and WEC, and you know Le Mans is going to be a cracking grid of lmp2 cars but to to really wholesale make the wholesale changes that they're talking about seems to me to be you know kind of solving a problem or trying to solve a problem that doesn't actually exist so if they ask me, I'll tell them to leave it alone. Um, and, and also in terms of the, uh, the closed cockpit cars, uh, again, I think it's, I, I know there's a whole safety aspect there, but I think there's an arg- a, b- a bigger argument um, against from that point of view too. So, yeah, I, I'd say leave it well alone. Simple question that the, possibly we haven't asked. Cost capping, it was a simple idea to try and keep the costs down and bring more people in. Looking from outside, Simon, it would look like that's worked and must therefore have, have cut costs for the teams. Yes, it has. It, what it's made is it's made everybody be able to be competitive. So, I mean, what was happening in the past when you looked, for example, at the HPD not so long ago, which was whatever it was, you know, 10 seconds a lap quicker than every other P2 car on the grid at the moment. Um, and then when you went back to the poor spiders not so many years ago, you know, there were people spending, I think, with a Porsches at the time it was like seven million a season when everybody else was spending maybe six hundred, seven hundred thousand or something. And you couldn't possibly compete. And then of course people just lose interest and don't bother turning out, which of course was, was what they were trying to um, um trying to counteract in terms of the cost cutting. So providing that the um the cost cuts are sensible um and and realistic and that there aren't too many loopholes that people can get around. I mean I've seen you know, a couple of reports about people saying that teams are effectively building their own cars and therefore getting around the cost caps that way. Um, but, I, you know, there's ways around that. So, yes, in principle, I think it's a good idea, but like anything else, just depends how it's policed, really. A bit like silver drivers. <laughs> <laughs> and at that point, I think I better let you go. <laughs> Simon, congratulations on uh, putting together another great-looking uh, 
uh, season for 2015. The programme looks strong, uh, and uh, congratulations on that, and good luck for the uh, for the championship as well as for for Le Mans and Spa. Yeah, lovely. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Good chatting to you, as always. Yeah, thanks for your time. Simon Dolan there, and we've talked then enough about Nick Yellerly joining the team. Let's get him on the phone now. Good evening, Nick. Good evening. Hello. And I suppose I should be saying congratulations as well, shouldn't I? Yeah, well, I guess so. Uh, thank you very much. It's uh, nice to get my you know, 2015 plans all sorted, and uh, now we're to get going, really. Um, speaking to Simon there about your career progression, I called it old-fashioned or traditional karting single seaters um, i remember you in in formula renault of, of course uh, why the change now we we've speculated about why young men do this but uh, why the change now to to lmp2 nick um well basically to I, I feel it's the best place to go and make a career out of you know out of quite obviously from the recent years um also the racing really really intrigues me um so many different things you have to learn and think about whilst driving a sports car in the in the ELMS and Le Mans, of course, compared to single seaters. So, a great new challenge. Um, and obviously, if um, if you're going to do it or do LMP2, you want to do it with the best team. And uh, mm-hmm. I feel I've chosen Jota as the best team. Um, and you know, just looking forward to getting going with Simon and Philippe, of course. You, in your previous career, you've raced with with good teams, people like Carling, like Status uh, Carlin, like uh, Status Grand Prix. Um, you know a good team when you look at it. I know you've had a, a little bit of time with the guys from Jota, and you've had a bit in the time, bit of time in the car. How how are you finding Jota Sport to start off? Uh, Jota Sport as a whole is just a fantastic professional outfit. Um, I'd say. If not the one of the uh, most professional um, outfits I've ever worked with, you know, the, all the mechanics are brilliant. The engineering staff from both uh, Jota and Gibson, um, the Gibson side as well, of course, is a big factor. And um, you know, my teammates are great. Just everything's working really, really well. Uh, all the tests so far have been really smooth, um, albeit some weather issues. But um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to getting going with the guys and, and just you know, being right at the front. The LMP2 car, very well. I was going to say very different from a single seater, but but you tell me, is it is it just like a big F3 car? Or I mean, in in terms of its aero, how uh, aero dependent and critical it is, and the kind of the grip it's getting. You, you tell me, Nick. Yeah, well, I mean, I've never actually driven a Formula 3 car before, as my progression went from two liters into GP3 uh, and then World Series, um, but. Obviously, the big World Series cars, the old spec from 2011, um, it's very similar to that, really. Mm. Um, it, I didn't find the, you know, the transition over very, you know, very difficult or complicated. There's a few little um, tricks of the trade, as they may say, um, just to get the optimum lap time. But for me, you know, within a handful of laps, I was, you know, bang on it and uh, enjoying my time in the sports car, really. Um, you've... Um raced it uh, raced in single seaters for a wee while come out out of karting uh, as we said you're going to start at Silverstone a circuit I presume that when well, in fact I know you've raced uh, before there it's the full circuit and is that a good place to get to get blooded if you will in the European Le Mans series I'd say probably the best um, <laughs> obviously coming through for me coming through the national ranks of two litre Renault I've done so many laps around Silverstone, um, at, at just in every configuration you could ever ask for, really. Um, and it's only 40 minutes down the road from my house, so um, I couldn't really ask for a better opening round for the uh, for me into sports cars. You know, I know where to 
go quick, how to go quick. I know where the passing opportunities are. Um, so, yeah, I'd say if I was going to choose one circuit to go to to, you know, um, get my virgin virginity, sorry, um, <laughs> taken away from me for the LMP2, it would be there. A uh, number of people tweeting in congratulating you. Uh, clearly a popular choice with the uh, RadioLamont.com collective here on Midweek Motorsport. Um Questions coming in. I'll, I'll, they're, they're flying into Tweed Deck at the moment, but I'll sort of pressy a few of them. I'll put a few uh, together. Yep. A number of them talking about career progression. We've talked about it a lot on this show in the past, Nick. Um, in financial terms, do you feel that this, that going into into uh, sports cars gives you a better career progression. A lot of people obviously have mentioned that you're jumping into Harry Tinknell's seat and look what's happened to him. Um, also, presumably, going through the ranks, you've still got to raise money as well. Do you get better value effectively out of a out of a sports car? Because that's what that's what the guys is that's what the guys are asking. They're being cheeky. Do you get better value out of a sports car program? <laughs> yeah, well, I guess so. They're longer races, aren't they? Instead of half an True. hour races, now you're racing for four hours, but you're sharing it you know, amongst three guys, um, you know, the Dunlop tyres um, last a bit longer than the Pirellis, which is, I guess is... Um, and as a whole, the career progression is the reason why we chose sports cars. Mm. You know, there's still big manufacturers in LMP1. There's Nissan coming this year that makes, you know, another couple, well, another nine seats in total mm-hmm. for Le Mans um, available. Um and it's just where everyone seems to be looking at now. Um, you can see in single seaters, you have to have, well, you have to be with the best team at the right time to go and win a championship, and you have to have the requisite funds to go and do that. Mm. Um, but even, even that, Nick. I mean, a number of people seeing, even if you won the championship, even if you went off and run one GP3 or in, in fact GP2, doesn't guarantee you're moving forward, does it? No, no. Then you've got to have you know the eight to twenty odd million um, behind you again just for one season. Which you know I, I I could think of plenty of other things I'd rather spend that much money on than, than one season of racing. So um, for me, sports cars um, was the decision between myself and my management, and I'm 100% confident that that's the way forward. Uh, is that actually the numbers that we're talking about about GP3 and GP2? Are we talking about many millions of, of euros? Are we? Um, in in GP3, GP2, yeah, you can you can be well in a, you know a couple of million euros, for example. I'm sure. Um, I haven't really had the conversations because I know I'm never going to get anywhere in that budget. So um, I know that's what people have paid. But and then for the for the lower echelons of Formula One, they're they're paying you know tens of millions some people to to go and have a play. It's um, difficult to it's justify just that, isn't it, to any sponsor? It really is. Um, and, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I think your driving style um, will really suit what you've got in P2. As you've already found out, it's not that different. It's not. There's no driving at 85% anymore, young man. You're ready for that, aren't you? Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm going to live the dream this year, going flat out all the time. So it's going to be really nice. Uh, back to some real flat-out racing. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just can't wait to get going. As I keep saying, it's going to be one hell of a season. For the most part of the season, it'll be, well, Simon for the whole part of the season, uh, and you and Felipe Albuquerque, uh, obviously, um, yeah. for the bulk of the season. We've got another driver yet to be uh, announced coming in f- to sub for Felipe when he's doing Audi stuff at Spa uh, and Le Mans and uh, so we'll, we'll keep stum about that until until that <laughs> is con- confirmed a um, number of people have looked you up and um, what what level of driver are you? What level? Um, oh, I've, I've been told to keep that quiet 
You're on the so, list yeah, I, as a silver driver, aren't you? Apparently, yes. That is that is a, I take it you understand what a valuable commodity silver drivers at your level of of experience and speed is uh, are at the moment in sports car racing. Yeah, I mean, I've been told that that's quite a cool thing to have, especially with you know the the pace that I should and will have, and uh, the different you know strategy calls they can they can make with me in the car then, and for the other two drivers as well in the LMS. Um, you know, should be quite beneficial. So that's another reason why um, teams were, were looking at me and we had then, you know, a better choice of teams and we chose, you know, the best one in Joseph. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's all good. I like it. It's all things that you've got to consider as your career progresses, absolutely. What do you think is going to be the biggest challenge for you this year? I could suggest a few things, but what do you think? Um, I think um, dealing with constant traffic will be a difficult Spot one. Spot on. Um, uh, a, a new one, anyway. Um, obviously, GB3, World Series, and stuff like that. You're pretty much, you know, within maybe three seconds lap um, from from pole to to 26 or whatever. Whatever. Whereas now I'm going to be racing with GT cars, um, and then in in Le Mans and in the Spa race, if we if we get the entry for the WEC, then we're going to. Um, obviously had the P1 cars in and about buzzing around as well, which will be, you know, looking in your mirrors, checking if they're coming 50Ks quicker or whatever. It's going to be <laughs> going to be weird. And obviously focusing forwards to make sure you don't crash into a GT car or, or you know, get held up too bad as well. So that's going to be difficult. Fuel savings, and a new thing for me, but I've already had a, a little play in the, in the handful of laps that I've done in trying to get that better. And I, I know the drill. So, you know, I've got a good understanding on how, um, I had to go about that. So have you had I, to uh, have you had to give up left foot braking, or were you not a left foot breaker? No, I've always been a left foot breaker, and I, I'm um, I'm allowed to keep that, which is nice. Ooh, okay. Save <laughs> <laughs> fuel by not left foot braking is uh, is the thing that everybody tells me. Now, I've never had to worry about that in any driving that I that I've done, except obviously when we're trying to get the best mileage out of the Audi going down through France and Spain or something. Um, the <laughs> So if those are going to be the challenges, you're obviously looking forward to them. But is the, the, the Le Mans must be a highlight, is it? I mean, you're aware of Le Mans. I know you've had a single seat career, but you're aware of Le Mans and aware of how big that's going to be this year. Yeah, well, I don't think you actually realise how big it is until you've been, and I've never been. But <sighs> everyone tells me it is, you know, out of this world. So it's obviously the highlight of the calendar, along with Silverstone for me, as that that's my home race. Um, I can't wait to get there, just, you know, feed off the atmosphere and, and then try and, you know, replicate Jota's performance there last year as well. We just, mm. um, I just can't wait to, to get there and take it all in, really. More uh, more tweets coming in and then we'll, we'll wrap this up and let you uh, settle down and, and bask in your, uh, in your preparation for 2015. Do you feel the pressure of coming into a team with as much uh, potential as Jota, a team that did, I mean, just missed out on the championship last year. They've won Le Mans, so in some ways they're, they're there to be shot down. Do you feel that pressure is the new boy coming in? No, not at all. To be honest, <laughs> I quite like it. You know, it, it shows that their car's very, very good already. So you know that leaves me only one thing to do, and that's just to get in and do my job and be as fast as possible. Um, really, um, you know, it doesn't doesn't bring any added pressure as it's it's actually. You know, takes pressure off because I know the car's going to be there and going to be quick at every circuit, and we're going to be able to fight for the wins at every circuit as well. So, for me, it just takes off, you know, ticks off another box, and it will just let me get on with my job. 
and how you're going to adapt to having to share everything with your teammates completely, not just stand in the same awning, but share the car, share the data, perhaps have to compromise the setup of the car. That's a different mindset, something for you to get used to. Yeah, it's different, but I, I don't find that too difficult. I'm a quite you know personable guy, and I, I like working together with my teammate, regardless of whether it's in sports cars or, or in GB3 or in World Series. I, th- I feel like it's a good thing to do that anyway, or try and do that anyway to bring the car forward, and then you can battle it out, out on the track in single-seaters. But here's even better, because we can actually you know tell each other little driving tricks, t- mm. sorry, or you know little tricks of each circuit. And you know, I reckon will benefit a lot from that obviously from the guys experience of my teammates um and obviously I'll, I'll bring a new you know point of view to the team as well that's true that's that's very true have you set yourself a goal for this year nick it's sometimes a dangerous thing to do but often i mean you've got to have uh, you've got to have things to aim at haven't you yeah well exactly i mean obviously my aim is to, as, with jota and my teammates is to win the lms championship they came very close last year um, and that's what we want to go and grab this year. Um, I'm not afraid of, of saying that because, you know, I don't go into any championship that I enter thinking, oh, I'll come second or third because <laughs> that's that's just not what, you know, what I'm programmed to do. Um, also, to go and try and repeat their Le Mans victory would be, you know, the icing on the cake, wouldn't it? So, I, very, very high aims um, and aspirations for this year. And, you know, we'll try our best as a team to, to get on with the job and, uh, and do it, really. I know you'll enjoy it. So, I, I'm not even going to mention that be safe have a good season and uh, make sure you come and talk to us throughout the rest of the year won't you Nick Yellily yep thank you very much guys midweek motorsport and if you thought that hour was packed with insights and comments wait till you hear what's next uh, and coming up in the next hour, we'll have your comments on what you've heard from Hugh Deshaunak, from Simon Dolan and from Nick Yellerly. We're going to try and hook up with Marshall Pruitt, who is at Silverstone for the LMP1 test. We've got news on the Porsche Curves. Uh, what did I say? Did I? Hmm. It better be at Sebring, otherwise it's going to be very quiet and very dark. Uh, we'll have news on the Porsche Curves and a multiple British touring car champion goes back to his endurance racing routes. Uh, we'll speak to Matt Neal uh, in the second hour of tonight's programme. Uh, but first, some of your comments and then Graham Goodwin is back with us. And you're listening to Midweek Motorsport Series 10, Episode 9 on RadioLamont.com. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLeMond.com. So we head into the second hour. I'm going to quickly run down some of the comments here on Twitter. Right turn lover. I'd be very surprised if Orica weren't among the chosen few. That's the CC, the chassis constructors. Uh, Michael Booth says, did anyone expect the chassis manufacturers to accept less money from T's? Teams buying uh, chassis, t- turkeys, Christmas, etc. He says, Hugh Deshawnak, if you didn't hear, saying there will be no savings for teams. It will be a very similar cost cap, at least, is what they've got. Now, uh, will unselected P2 manufacturers just be advised to go and build an MP1 cars? Would that work, says Andrew Smith. Um, and uh, a lot of very good questions tonight. Um, one or two people saying, surely this is going down the way of LMPC. Uh, it didn't work in Europe before. Why is it going to work this time with uh, just a different name? Uh, an uh, oligopoly and an oligopoly and two monopolies. That's not the recipe for a buyer's market. 
Um, and Hughes, Chris Suku says, Hugh makes an interesting choice, uh, interesting point about the cost cap not being controllable, uh, although that's been uh, countered by Right Turn Lover here saying, surely that's just a matter of policing, could be done similar to the claiming rules on uh, MotoGP and Moto2. That does kind of work, Nick, doesn't it, that, in fairness, sort of? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, it's a good idea, I mean, but... Um... As we saw, as soon as you had a claiming rule, someone tried to exploit it, and Ducati tried to get themselves as a non-work team because they weren't doing very well, and get them the advantages. So uh, I always think the sim- more simple you can make the rule set, and the best written, the better. Wessex Dog, hello Wessex Dog, says, I've got a feeling that any discussion on this LMP2 thing will be for sure. It seems to be set in stone already. Uh... Nicolay on the 2017 P2 regs in Auto likes the four manufacturers idea. Would rather avoid having a global engine manufacturers though. Um, the uh, uh, well, on the if you're going to be one of the four manufacturers, you're going to be all in favour of it, aren't you? Oh no, absolutely, um, absolutely. Um, a number of people seeing, you know, applauding you for. His honesty, AV Geek says, Hugh didn't certainly certainly didn't mince his words. Sound, does that mean promises have been given already? Opposite of keeping your cards to your chest is keeping cards on the table, surely. Um, James Fox, one of a number of people saying, the proposed P2 plan, could it not be viewed as a barrier to trade, only allowing three non-US manufacturers? No. Um, no, because it's a tender process. Um, the Rob Fitzgerald says, huge kudos to Hugh, saying he can't see Oregon not being selected. I don't disagree anywhere um, on that one. And uh, I think it was Turbo Womble that Graham has said, SHED, Supreme Headquarters of the editor of Daily Sports Car, which I think is absolutely uh, brilliant. You still with us, Graham? Sounds like he isn't. Right. I absolutely am. Oh, nice. I was doing that usual thing of switching off and, and listening, as most people tend to do. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? The answer, by the way, to one of your listeners asking about whether or not P1 would be uh, an option. Well, the plus side on P1 is it's not cost capped. The downside on P1 is no one's buying cars. So I think the answer is no. Graham, stay, uh, stay with us for a second. I just want to do this one. AV Geek, this is the, I, I think this, is, this sums up a lot of what people are saying. I do appreciate the candour and honesty of Yudha Shonak in his interview and respect him as a designer. Having said that, I think these new LMP2 regs are, as Graham Goodwin said, a blunt weapon and not really required. The current P2 regulations are working well for manufacturers, for teams and for fans. I think this new proposal is more for the benefit of suppliers than the teams and the fans. I fear that his comments are the businessman speaking. This is a few Shonak, and not those of someone with a long-term best interest of the P2 class at heart. I think that might be a little bit harsh, but it, yes, I understand what you're saying. Um, back to AV Geek, who says there is a lot of investment being made over the last 12 months in P2. That investment will be wasted within at the very maximum two years. If that is not long enough, and commercially the decision needs to be made much later in the year, and more consolidation needs to be given to the smaller manufacturers who can be put out of business by larger manufacturers. Hmm. Um, am I the only person who wishes Jota, says Turbo Womble, would hire two drivers called Les and Paul to drive the uh, Gibson? Yes, very good. Mm. Um, Graham, I'm going to drop you for the moment. Before you do, I've got a quick question. Oh, yes, go ahead. If uh, Oracle were going to be one of the three, who are the other two? Uh, I'll tell you, I'd be astonished if Von Rote weren't a second. And bearing in mind the... And this is, by the way, with absolutely... Uh, no disrespect whatsoever to the HPD 
uh, guys. The, the reality is that it's Honda Performance Development. I can't see Honda Performance Development wanting anything other than a Honda in the back of their car. And since you're not allowed to bid for a chassis and yeah. a, an engine, then I'm afraid that doesn't bode well in its current form for that car, which then leaves you with, who's the American manufacturer going to be? Stand up Bill Riley there. You're then left with three or four current chassis manufacturers and at least one and possibly more aspirant manufacturers bidding for one place. Mm. Yes, and that is going to be um, very difficult indeed. Um, the Simon, I know that uh, one or two people blew the embargo on the uh, on the story from Jota. Um, we uh, kept our promise. Um, we did the interviews on Monday, sat on them uh, until this evening. Um, bit of a snafu somewhere down the line. We're not pointing the finger at anybody. I don't think it was anybody's fault, really. Just an itchy finger on the go button. Um, but if you've read or heard of it anywhere else uh, beforehand, that's because the embargoes weren't uh, uh, weren't respected by some other um, parts of the motorsport world. But thank you anyway to Simon and to Nick for making themselves uh, available. I also would like to say hello to Mick, who says I want one week at least to uh, listen live so I can get a name check. Mick, there's your name check. And also, <laughs> hello to Alan at the Crooked Billet, who looked after us all brilliantly. Yeah, uh, well, Alan's the star, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, I'd like some more of those afternoon cocktails. Uh, yes, which we yeah, haven't got, got a name for. as well. Very refreshing. Yes, Very which pleasant. I picked all of the ingredients bar one out It was of. an excellent time to finally get uh, Rachel to be a designated driver. And you got Joe. <laughs> yeah, and I've got Joe as a designated driver. So, Alan at the Crooked Billet at Milton Keynes, thank you very much indeed. And more of that particular hostelry as we come up towards Silverstone and the WAC uh, here on Radio Le Mans.com. I'm going to drop uh, uh, Graham for just a wee moment and uh, we'll get him back in a, a little while because we've got some more. If we've got time, we'll grab some more news uh, on. Um, sports cars in a wee moment's time because I want to talk about some of the performance uh, of bits and pieces but with any luck we should be able to say hello across the ocean and welcome from Sebring uh, from racer.com Marshall Pruitt good evening Marshall good evening and I apologise for the poor audio quality I'm having uh, technical issues I can Don't hear cars worry. in the background Marshall I th- I think we can hear cars in the background, MP, if nothing else. Welcome to the show tonight. Uh, I know that you've been having um, work to do out there, so let's get straight down to it. Um, The cars are on the track. The P1 cars have been there. Nissan have already packed up and gone back to Indy, not because there was anything wrong. They only were going to do the first day or so of this test. Yeah, unfortunately, they'd hoped to stay a bit longer, Hindy. Uh, They had as many as five days scheduled to be here. They had a uh, bit of a technical issue uh, late yesterday that has limited their options for staying and continuing the test. Keep in mind, it's a car with a lot of, as Bill Riley would put it, reach built into it. It's a very ambitious car. And as a result, uh, you know, man did not make it to the moon on his first attempt. So there's uh, plenty of aspects of the Nissan which the team are continually learning about having to prove and such and uh, you you could safely describe their early exit from the test as uh, a learning opportunity that will uh, be capitalized on when they get back to Indy and you are hearing the uh, lovely folks from Tequila Patron ESM laughing in the background so all kinds of fun 
Also had uh, had Audi there, of course. Uh, I think this is the 17th consecutive year that the guys from Ingolstadt, now from Neustadt, of course, have come across to do their early or pre-season testing at Sebring, or at least in uh, Florida. They've, they've been down to Homestead a couple of times in that time frame as well. A car that is still wearing the number one, I noticed in photographs and video, but looks and sounds, Marshall, distinctively different from what I remember it from the end of last season. Yeah, they've done a lot of work on aerodynamics, Hindy. Uh, I love it, actually. The car is much more aggressive looking. Uh, Sound-wise, to me at least, it still sounds, you know, it sounds like a lovely hushed turbo diesel uh, V6. But yeah, they're working hard here. They'll be here for a few more days. Uh, the goal is about 6,500 kilometers. So uh, yeah, everyone here is working incredibly hard. And, you know, they'll take all the secrets that they're gaining and all the uh, things that they're figuring out take it back to the factory and hopefully turn that into more speed once they get to the prologue is anybody doing any ta- uh, uh, um, any timings around there Marshall or is that being kept very quiet uh, to be honest uh, I have yet to have the time to do that I intend to and one of the nice things frankly is you know other than some of the technical aspects of the car which Audi has asked to uh, keep those items embargoed mm. until uh, they release them first, so full respect there. But in terms of everything else, honestly, it's fairly open. Uh, bring your camera. Uh, granted, they're not exactly inviting me under the uh, under the engine cover, but uh, take the photos that you want, shoot the video, uh, you know, have at it. So it's been myself and about eight other journalists here uh, that are really, truly enjoying P1 cars where they belong, Heidi, at Sebring. Yeah, absolutely. And is that the that's the ESM going round now? That that low drubbing noise is the is the sound of the HPD V6, is it? It is. Uh, wow. They, are, they have both the uh, the brand new coupe here, and they have the uh, previous model as well, the open top car. They're using both, frankly, to make sure all the drivers get time. Nick Worth is here. Uh, has been busy with the uh, HPD engineers trying a few uh, a few things with the old hacksaw and a, experimenting a little bit on some of the configurations for the ARX 04B. Uh, but yeah, I mean, and back to your question about lap times, I can tell you that uh, the Nissan unfortunately never really got up to speed. Uh, I still have to put a watch on the ESM car, and I know from speaking with a few folks that. Uh, the lap record set by Audi here of a 43.8 that the night in 2013 has been improved. And hey, I have a, a special guest here, a really smiley guest, Mr. Hindoff. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hand my headset to him, and uh, we have a little guest here for Radio Le Mans. Okay, this is a bit scary. And to whom? To whom do I speak? Mr. Duval, Loïc Duval. Ah, Loïc Duval, how are you? Welcome to Midway Motorsport. And yourself, you good? Uh, very good, Loïc. Good to hear your voice again. And what's it like being back at, at Sebring? Not to compete, obviously, but to do some testing for Audi? It's good. I mean, it's great to be to be back here in Florida. I mean, we, we always enjoy the weather. The, it's, it's always great to be back on this track. And uh, it's means also that we we're going to start the season soon so we we are really looking forward i don't expect you to give me any top secret information but just from the photographs and the video the the new audi for 2015 looks very different from the outside is the performance very different and is it very different technologically on the inside 
it, it's not different really. I mean, uh, for sure, it's an improvement compared last year. Uh, the car looks really, really good. Uh, the guys uh, in English that they have done a, a really hard job during the, the whole winter to make sure that uh, we improve everything in the car, and uh, we have been working really hard. And so far, we are quite happy with. Uh, with the results, so we are keep working really hard because uh, Silverstone will uh, will arrive pretty pretty soon, and we have to to give the maximum out there. But uh, yeah, so far we are pretty happy. Like last year, the trouble if it was well no it was trouble the the issue that audi had was you just didn't have the power of the cars that were using six megajoules this year we're expecting porsche and toyota at least and possibly nissan later on in the season uh, to be using at least six and possibly eight megajoules of stored power has audi been able to do anything about adding some more hybrid power again don't i don't expect you to say oh yes we've got this thing and it's really cool and it, all the top secret stuff have you been able to add more hybrid power to the the r18 for 2015 we are doing everything we we <laughs> think it's possible and we are doing everything to make sure that we're going to be reliable in Le Mans. so that's uh, that's again the main target and uh, i'm sure and uh, i totally agree with uh, all the engineers and i believe in uh, in their projects like, thank you very much for joining us at short notice. Great to, to have your company. And will you thank Marshall for us as well? Um, it's quite noisy in the background there. But thank you for joining us live from Sebring. Thank you very much, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And thank you to Marshall Pruitt for fixing that up. Short but sweet tonight from MP. Uh, live, from, uh, uh, live from Sebring. Thank you. Not Silverstone. Uh, and <laughs> steadfastly, uh, not, as you might imagine... Um, at all wanting to um, answer the question about uh, extra uh, hybrid power. Uh, in fairness, it was an issue, was it not? Graham Goodwin, uh, editor of DailySportsCard.com, joining us again from SHED, uh, Supreme Headquarters, editor of DailySportsCard.com. It was a problem last year. I, he kind of avoided saying yes or no, but I could almost hear in the smile in Loic's voice, couldn't you? I kind of feel that's a yes. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. And, and Another say, exclusive. That's three tonight. <laughs> that's three in the first what, hour and eighteen minutes. Unbelievable. I think the I think the, I think the answer is they've really got to. Um, you know, they said uh, more than once at the end of last season that uh, Audi were going to try and two fronts what they could do technically with the package they've got to optimise that, but also politically um, to see whether or not the uh, they could uh, influence the. The rule set, and we'll find out whether or not there's been any move on that, I'm sure, in a couple of weeks' time. But um, uh, that was, I think, a racing driver cornered like a scared kitten um, by you and your incisive interviewing yet again, John. <laughs> and, um, and, it's only and what think, everybody <laughs> wanted me to ask. Of course, absolutely. I like the way in which I said, to whom am I speaking? Duval. Like Duval. Oh, Duval. <laughs> Well, there's another world champion you've had on the show. There just you go. just like whizzing he's being through them. At school. Sorry, uh, Tim. Like he was being admonished at school. Yes, actually, you're not Who far. Who are you, p- p- boy? Yes, Duval. Duval, sir. Like Duval. Um, good stuff. And uh, there's still a couple of days of testing down there. As Marshall said, if you're within the vicinity of an hour or so's drive from Sabring, it might be worth a chance to go down. One of only two opportunities, of course. To see P1 cars running out of you there for a wee while longer. And didn't that ESM sound rorty as, oh, as well? Um, 
Uh, but anyway, that's by the by. Um, let's crack on through a couple of other stories, Graham. Um, it has been Geneva this week, and uh, a couple of well, it it seems the hypercar is back in fashion, doesn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, I think there's been three themes really at uh, Geneva. One is significant road cars for GT making its debut, and uh, there's some pretty. Um, Interesting sound bites coming out about the race potential for that car. The Ferrari 488, a turbocharged Ferrari, and uh, the next GT3 and GTE car from Ferrari, a uh, road car version there. Um, the hypercar, yep, yeah, well, the McLaren P1 GTR, long trailed in its fantastic Harrod style livery, and the astonishing Aston Martin Vulcan. Um, but my new. Absolutely, um, Euro Millions car. That yeah. one, absolutely fabulous stuff by Marit Reichman. Can't drive it on the road though. It's all, there's only 24 being built. Don't care. Don't care. I'd, I'd put it in the living room and look at it. Okay. Uh, but but two very significant race cars. Uh, by the way, European debut for the GTRLM mm-hmm. uh, at the show. But two very significant race cars: the brand new Audi R8. Uh, LMS and its road car compatriots and the AMG GT3, uh, two of the numerically, commercially, and in in terms of competitiveness at the moment, most significant GT3 cars on the planet. We know where we're going to see the Audi that will race at the Spa 24 hours and at the Nürburgring 24 hours. Um, you would therefore presume a couple of VLM races as well. And we have uh, assurance that the AMG GT will make its uh, debut this summer, whether that's Spa whether or not that's uh, perhaps at Paul Ricard, we don't yet know. But, um, you know, what we could certainly guess is that, um, you know, we'll see that car out in the hands of a factory-blessed team in a challenging race before too much longer. Another fabulous-looking car. A uh, couple of quickies, a uh, couple of new young drivers in British GT. We can name them and say which uh, team they're driving for. We can. I mean, you know, it's it's been a, a kind of a uh, a time when we've, got, we've had uh, a number of great... Uh, uh, projects coming forward we've got uh the beach dean team coming forward with a very very young pairing uh, i think i said on twitter earlier jamie chadwick uh who is 16 years old and mm. ross gunn who is 18 years old some total of 34 that's my waist size that's ridiculous um and uh also we've got the mclaren young drivers actually um uh, announced for a full british gt uh championship run uh one of two 650s gt3s uh and that's going to be ross wiley and oh good grief it's uh our Osterman friend isn't it whose name completely escapes me john don't ask me that's why i have you on the show uh Nick, i've just deleted that press release as well so. yes i know okay um and some of the drivers have note this week we'll get the collect level pick it up don't worry it's on midweek motorsport um no time to talk about matt griffin but there's a great andrew watson by the way andrew, andrew watson. watson well done yes um, matt griffin great story on dailysportscar.com about him uh, the two remaining i think nissan drivers announced this week have we had all nine now that's all nine. Uh, we're, Nobody we're, got all nine. Darren uh, Cox said he would give the best price in the world to anybody who got all nine on our Facebook, on our um, Midway Motorsport Listeners Collective page. I've checked. Nobody got all nine. Did anybody get Max? No. I did. 
No. Sorry, I did. Someone challenged me privately last week uh, with only one other little snippet of information, and I did guess at Max Chilton uh, about a week ago. Alex Bungham is a great addition and very well deserved. I, I think a lot of people here. guessed Alex, didn't they? Yeah, Alex Bungham was kind of a given, and it's interesting that obviously he's one of the three drivers just in Philemon with um, the Japanese driver and. Uh, Lucas Ordinance. But the question I have in my mind, and it spins on from a lot of things we've been talking about, mm. is, is Max pay? Is he being paid? Or is it a freebie? Don't care. Yes. No, I do. No, you no, can't no, no, snap no, no. don't no, care there. No, no, no. You can't snap don't care there. We talk about do, every other class. About yeah, no, I agree. I agree. You know, the straight answer is, if he is paying, he's choosing, uh, chosen to take it where his money has got value will get him a, a career path. Well, and listen, the reality is it gets him a full season in a full world championship and it gets him the biggest race in the world. Uh, right. Two things about that. I understand why Nick asked that. I'll come back in yeah, a moment. Yeah. And Nick Yellerly, Nick, Nick, Nick Yellerly, who we just talked to, listen to what he said about the kind of numbers in GP2 and GP3. If Max Chilton um, has, as we think, well, in fact, we know exactly how much he paid for his Formula 1 seat because it's in the accounts. And it was $8 million. $8 million. Um, Adrian Sutil has been banding around 7 or $8 million, 5 million quid um, to LMP1 teams and manufacturers. And the reason I think you're asking this, Nick, is... Is this a new direction potentially for for manufacturers? Well, you know, if you have got a F1 style driver or a well-backed uh, international driver who has got in the region of, let's say, five million dollars, which is actually quite a small budget, that's only just over GP2 budget. Hmm. If you bung, it's not GP2 budget. Two years GP2 budget. Dollars. Dollars. Oh, dollars. So if you put them together, seven million dollars, three of them together, you've got fifteen no, million dollars. Does fifteen million dollars run a third car? Not the third car is much cheaper than the first or second car you've already got because development is done. It's just extra points. Do you find a business model where possibly even a fourth car, you know, a third WEC car? I mean, I, I don't know what the actual costs are to run a car that needs no development that is just oh, I think we could I think we could, find, we could find that out pretty easily it's happened before Nick it happened at Aston Martin Racing mm. uh, with, the, with the Lolo Aston Martin and that most certainly was a pay car the answer is yes you can and there's also a further answer is well why wouldn't you well particularly as well Graham if you ran that you might say and I have talked to a couple of um, OEMs um, uh, manufacturers recently who said you know there would be an issue with us having people in there who perhaps couldn't perform to the standards you know if they're good enough would we not hire them anyway whether or not they had any money and I understand that however then in the next breath was but we could always give it to a satellite team to run no well why would you say say you want to run a fourth alley I know you don't but say you want a fourth Porsche and you have uh, Adrian Sutor Guido van der Gaard and Max Chilton in it that if, if they can get the P1, there's no reason to think they couldn't get P1. They're going to be as quick as any other team going round in those. Those three pretty quick drivers who, who have not got where they want to get because of reasons beyond basic pace. Mm. Yeah, and it's almost like a free car, isn't it? Um, the yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, uh, particularly at Le Mans, it's and p- potentially at WEC, uh, it's very very interesting. Um, stay with us. Uh, we've got half an hour of the show left. We've got lots to squeeze in, and at ten o'clock tonight, part two of our newest set of programming on RadioLeMans.com. It's Andy Prio's hashtag IHG Racing 
Diary for 2015. Uh, three different race series in three different championships, um, in three different parts of the world, in three different BMWs. Andy Priol with us at 10 o'clock uh, this evening, straight after this show. Graham Goodwin stays with us. Nick yes. Damon stays with us. Because we um, need to and do you've got this before Graham yes, goes. Absolutely. The news that no one is talking about. <laughs> the stories that aren't reported anywhere else. And for valid editorial reasons. Pointless press release of the week on Midweek Motorsport. Before we get on to the the winner this week, uh, one of the uh, contenders, um, remember earlier in the year I was talking about there being a flurry of press releases which were basically along the lines of Dave Miggins has been appointed as a press officer for the Mm -hmm. Suzuki Swift Rally Cup. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, Circuit of the Americas uh, have... Well, actually, they haven't released this. Uh, their PR company has uh, released a statement saying, uh, Circuit of the Americas, this week announced renewal of its long-standing partnership with Motorsports Marketing Agency. So, nice little bit of advertising for them there. However, that's not the winner. No. Uh, Nick. Yes. Go yes. Ahead. Nick, speak up. I can't hear you. Hello. That's better. Uh, as a household... It's the beard. Yes. Which is you and... Uh, Rachel and children. Yes, seventeen of them. Just how like the von traps down there. How many? Really how many cars do you have between you? Or how many vehicles do you have between vehicles? You? Yes. Uh, well, mo- road vehicles. Four. Road vehicles, not radio controlled ones. Four. Four. And uh, which of those would you That's say was the uh, was a the most practical everyday family car? The Q5. The SQ5. So sorry. the the Q5 is is your SQ5. Is your, That's the S sorry, your, is your SQ5 is yeah. your practical everyday car. Yes. Graham Goodwin, how many cars does your household have? Two. Two. Which of those is the practical everyday car? Uh, this, but even Stevens, we've got a little Ford people carrier, and we've got my Audi. So Ford or an Audi, both mm-hmm. very yep. good. Uh, John, uh, yes. how many cars do you and Eve have between you? One, two. Three cars and two motorbikes. Three cars. Okay, which is your practical everyday car? Audi A6 of Van Diesel. Yeah, Audi A6. So Audi doing pretty well in this survey. And, <laughs> what do uh, I? And uh, a if Ford you, If you ever come round well. ours when we're, when we're doing a big broadcast and Bradley's here and Nick's here, it looks like an Audi dealership. <laughs> and Johnny. And Johnny Palmer, yeah. And Paul Trustwell. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I can't even find this press release now. Uh, <laughs> <excellent>. <laughs> Carry on. So Audi is doing well in the everyday stakes, yes. So the definitive car for everyday use, apparently, according mm-hmm. to this press release, is the new Porsche 911 GT3 RS. <laughs> <laughs> of course it is, and we'll all have one immediately. Hello, it, Porsche UK. It retains supreme suitability for everyday driving, equipped with the maximum degree of motorsport technology currently possible in a street-legal 911. It hasn't got any rear seats, has it? Well, yes. It's got more rear seat than um, thought, any 911 in the past. I thought it had a roll cage. Oh, yes. It's the GT3 version. Yes. But it and does thinking, have declutching by the paddle neutral facility. Does it have the ability to get half a garage of crud to the tip? Because no. that's the key point. The if front luggage trailer, compartment uh, lid features a unique contoured surface structure. Right. Okay. A strip-like 30-centimetre wide recess which runs upwards through the middle of the CFRP bonnet and the magnesium roof. 
How is it getting two dogs to the vet? The magnesium roof is the bit that's going to clinch it for me. Uh. I'm actually just going on the... WeBuyAnyCar.com right now um, to get rid of the A6 and to get myself an RS. I'm sure Mm. the costs are much the same. Hang on. In in fairness, you... You did look at a Renault Avon time quite since quite seriously. So well, you kept a straight face as well. I don't know. I was waiting for you to buy it, mate. Okay, <laughs> that listen. If Porsche UK would like, and I don't know if Marion Barnaby or anybody uh, down at Reading at the moment is listening to us. I'm, I'm sure somebody there, would. is she? Well, no, she still works for them. Though. She's still contracting. Um, if anybody's listening down there, we we collectively as RadioLeMond.com would be very happy to try your practical everyday car. I will drive it to the tip. I will take the Greyhound to the vet. I'll do all the things I normally do in my ordinary car. There was an advert at the end of last year in the States where they were pushing the new 991. No, the best one. Did you see the Germany only uh, RS6 advert? Where they superimpose an R18 doing what a, 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 oh, yes. a RS6 yes. Avon yes, could do. Yes. It was brilliant. Fabulous. Really well done, that was. Um, so that is the um, that is the pointless press release of the week featuring Porsche. And we'll stay with Porsche. <laughs> uh, and do we? curves, yes. Uh, the 911 has nice curves. And the Porsche curves are a track feature. Have we, have we missed something for the running order? But we... <laughs> what? It's probably when you publish a running order the first time in three years, you have to stick to it. No, no, we've done that many times <laughs> in the past, but we've had to move things around because of the way things happened. Um, talk about and, Porsche then. Sorry? Talk about Porsche curves then. Yes, we are going to talk about <laughs> Porsche. That's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Porsche curves. And a little bit later than we wanted to, we'll have a quick chat with our man in the travel trade. Uh, you'll be aware of these... Uh, uh, earthworks and Graham, you stay with us for this because I'd be interested to hear uh, what you've got to say. The earthworks down at the Porsche Curves this year. Our man in the travel trade is uh, Richard Webb of Travel Destinations. Good evening, Richard. Good evening, John. And how's things? Obviously, working late tonight. So, how's things? How's things over at Travel Destinations? You busy? Uh, busy, busy, John. Never not working, to be honest. <laughs> here, we're always um, always around, whether we're online or on Twitter, Facebook, or whatever. But uh, yeah, very busy. Everything big year for us um lots of events going on and thankfully lots of people wanting to join us it's not our uh, it's not our evening tonight is it so uh We'll uh, break away from Richard there and uh, see if we can get him back in just a few moments' time. Graham, um, this has been a, a decent uh, a decent story in the last few days about it's part of an ongoing set of uh, revisions to the circuit uh, down at the circuit de la South. Yeah, it's part of a kind of range of let's um, see what it is. It's a safety measure. It's as simple as that, and uh, it's registered a fair amount of criticism. But actually, what I've sp- uh, spotted in most of the kind of responses we've seen from uh, racegoers is a fair degree of common sense. We, we are at that stage, I'm afraid, uh, where not just because of what happened two years ago, but because what happened a year ago as well. We just had Loic Duval on the show, and we could be uh, talking about a completely different story about Loic Duval after last year's shunt. The reality is that the ACO were staring down the barrel of a gun and that something had to change. And uh, what we're talking about here is it's on the outside of the entry to the Porsche curves, the very same uh, gravel trap that's claimed, good grief, how many victims now? Certainly Tom Christensen uh, has been in there and in their heart. Uh, Mike Newton, I think, did he ended up, ended up airborne in there, didn't he? At, yes, uh, he one did. Point. Yep. Um, 
it's you know it's a tricky corner it needs a huge amount of commitment and if you get it wrong you can have a very big accident and that uh, i'm afraid appears to have failed the kind of risk register test and it's going to be a much bigger gravel trap on the outside there unfortunately uh, elsewhere in media world uh, a year or so back there was a very um, ill-judged attempt at drawing a diagram of what was actually going to happen <laughs> with the gravel trap on the wrong side of the track um, now um, the reality here is much bigger gravel trap that means the spectator bank that's actually uh, behind the tyre barrier there will have to move back and move back some considerable way which also means that that's going to uh, mean that it's not now going to be available to the general public yeah well let's uh, let's see what Richard's got to say about this because Richard it, it is now we've managed to, to get the line back and stop him sounding like Max Headroom sorry about that um, That uh, it, it, this obviously sounds like it might be a bit of a benefit to, to you and your customers started um, last week um, uh, down at Le Mans so um, this is something that's been planned for a long time I think the ACO first announced they were going to be doing some works over a year ago now um, and what they're basically doing in the in the interests of driver safety they're um, making some um, changes to the the gravel trap extending the gravel trap just in front of Porsche curves there and also putting in some um, energy absorbing barriers um, you'll know the technical term for it. Ah, so like I. the safer barriers that, that, uh, yeah. that IndyCar and NASCAR use, those sort of tech pro Exactly, things. exactly right. So they're all going in um, at the entrance to Porsche Curves there, which is right where our viewing bank has always been. And people who have travelled down with us will know that it's a fantastic view up there and you can see the cars coming into the curve. You're just on the outside of the bend there as they come sweeping past you into the complex. So it's a great place to be. What people will be able to see from um, some of the photos and things, and there's an article on our website as well, is that they're moving our viewing bank back. So it looks a bit of a mess at the moment, as all works do. Um, you have to make a mess to make it look better. Um, but uh, the, the bank is moving back a, um, a little bit into our campsite. So um, it will look a little bit different um, from in previous years when everybody's gone down there. But what essentially we're doing to kind of counteract that, obviously the footprint of the campsite is changing slightly. Um, so we're moving things around. Um, so, what we've got to say, though, here, Richard, and this is very important, mm. is that the viewing at the entrance to the Porsche curves is not, as some people have said, disappearing altogether. In fact, far from that, there will be no public viewing from there, but your private viewing bank, which has been there ever since it's been the RadioLamont.com mm. travel, uh, travel destination site, that remains yeah. and it becomes just an exclusive area for, yeah. for you and your guests. Basically, what the ACO um, are suggesting to us is that they're going to, um, to effectively the entrance to the Porsche Curves campsite, which in the past we've always had to keep open to allow people to wander through the general public and wander up through the pathways, not through the tents, but through the pathways up and up onto the banking, um, will cease to be a public area. So right. that gate at the front of the campsite, if you like, will become private and exclusive to our travel destination um, guests. That's get the guests staying, camping on with their, their own tents in Porsche Gerbs and also the people staying with us in our event tents. Um, which are the big um, glamping tents that we have. So those people will have access to Porsche Curves, and they will be the only people um, with access to Porsche Curves. And in a sense, they'll have um, the viewing bank to themselves. 
So um, there'll still be the public viewing bank. So people, if people want to watch a Porsche Curves, there will still be a, a, a bank on the inside corner, um, which is accessed via the Beausejour campsite. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Porsche Curves campsite, I think because the barrier is going, uh, the, the viewing bank is going to be smaller mm-hmm. um, by nature of the, the works that are going on there, um, it's not possible to keep it open for, the, for everybody and the, and the public. Um, and um, whilst lots of people will, will probably be a little put out by that, unfortunately, it's just not possible to get everybody in there. So it's going to be a, 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 a private thing for our guests and the whole of that Porsche Curves area now becomes ours um, and enables us to do a few more things for everybody. So it's a, it is a positive, absolutely. I think it's really good for our guests um, and everybody will still get to see the Porsche Curves. So in, increased security from, from your point of view, your security's always been yeah. good there, um, exclusive viewing bank, and this is going to start from this year. I presume that's already all sold out, Richard, is it? Unfortunately so. Those people wanting to get into Porsche Curves, um, yes, it is um, completely sold out at this moment. We are running a wait list. Um, everybody um, and those listeners, uh, this will be a reminder to those listeners that have paid deposits, do need to pay us the balance before the end of the month. So uh, there are always some changes around then. So we are running a wait list. And when people drop out, we immediately fill those places with other, uh, other people because okay. the demand is such. But otherwise, yes, if you if just a book now at Porsche Curves um, and our event tents, indeed, um, are now completely sold. Um, we do still have some availability in our Flexitel village, the cabins. We're down to a last few cabins there now already. Um, and we have 200 of those cabins in the centre of the circuit. Um, so creating a nice atmosphere and a nice village there. Love it. Um, and of course, we do have um, a number of, of the ACO circuit run campsites, which, um, which are obviously the more basic camping that's around the circuit that everybody enjoys. Um, and we can still find some of those places for everybody as well. So. Do you get a sense, Richard, that, 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 that um, we, we talked about this in the programmes, do you get a sense that this is going to be another bumpy year? We keep seeing that every year almost, don't we? But it seems as though people made their decisions early and earlier this year. Again, we said that in the shows. Yeah, but- I think this year, it's, it's very difficult to tell this year because there's lots of changes, of course, as well as the changes we just talked about there. There's the, the change up at mm. Maison Blanche mm. with the, the Porsche Experience Centre coming in there. Um, and they lost 450-odd plots from that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I'm pretty sure those people that go in there this year, it will be a bit of a different atmosphere and, and it will be a different kind of setup in there. Um, so a lot, of those, a lot of those people that were pushed out of there early um, from Maison Blanche uh, started booking into other areas and it had this ripple effect out. So other campsites like Tetra Rouge and Who um, started to fill very quickly mm-hmm. um, and earlier than previously. And other people were then who would normally book maybe at the beginning of the year or something were then starting to get caught out because their preferred campsite option was already full from the right. people that had been had missed out on their previous choice and they and then so on. Um, so they've introduced a new campsite um, at Epinet, um, which is in the centre of the circuit, oh. um, not far from the tram stop. Okay. Um, that's going to be an addition. Down towards house. the football stadium sort of area? Uh, yeah, yeah, almost opposite the entrance to Who, actually. Oh, okay. Um, so a little bit further down from the stadium there. And um, that's currently for this year, it's going to be 1,000 pitches. Um, wow. with a view to it being 1,500 pitches wow. moving forward. Um, the reason they haven't got the, the full works in this year is because they've got to cut down trees and do other things. This is an ACO campsite, though, so as we've said before... ACO campsite, and as, and as I understand it, it will be 
99% um, ACO members in there this year, right. most of who have been evacuated from um, oh, the Maison Blanche. Right. Okay. okay, Okay. thanks Richard, uh, and, and thanks for joining us uh, tonight. For, for the details, of course, uh, just uh, click the link on uh, RadioLamont.com's front pages. So... Uh, Viewing still going to be at the Porsche Curves. You like you'll access it through the Bus as your uh, campsite on the inside. And in fact, Richard and I just talking earlier uh, before we came on the air uh, about the fact that, that there may well be still some public viewing there, but not this year when the earthworks has just been done and is still fairly muddy. Um, but keep an eye open for that for next year, and obviously we'll keep you in touch. Travel destinations, a travel partner of Radio Le Mans. Dot com. Sorry to cut you off uh, there, Richard, but needs to move on. Coming up on quarter to nine, and Tim has told me that we've got another guest on the phone. Fingers crossed for Have this we? one. As we say, good evening to Matt Neal. Hi, John. Uh, long time since we've had a proper chat, and delighted to be welcoming you to the ranks of endurance racing. Um, come on, what's brought this about then? Well, I mean, the series is growing and growing. I've been, I've been looking at it, and I've to be honest, I've had a few approaches the last probably 18 months, and it's always conflicted or Dubai's the same week as Autosport Show or whatever. And um, I got a I got an approach about uh, it with Jello, and um, it was exciting. It was a good opportunity. The team seemed a great bunch of guys, so I thought, why not? Let's give it a rip. We uh, we should say yes, exactly. It is the Cravontic uh, Endurance FI Endurance Series. Uh, you're at Mugello for the 12 hours, which is a four plus eight hour race in a in a VW Golf Diesel. Is that right? Yeah, it's gonna be a few firsts for me. I think it's going to be the first diesel race car I've driven and the first time at Mugello. So um, yeah, in the deep end. But I'm looking. I'm really looking forward to it. The, the British Touring Car Series seems to be coming round onto another one of its upswings. Uh, like every series, it has its good times and its bad times. Um, it's it's had a fairly steady few years. Andy Prio's back in the championship uh, coming up this season. You've got, I think, the most former champions uh, that's ever been in the championship this year. So we're not suggesting that you're going to be stepping away from that, Matt, are we? No, no, I've still got my commitments with Honda. Uh, with that and we um, the season kicks off in five weeks I think uh, we still haven't tested the new car we're down to test the new car next week for the first time check down the first new car so um, yeah it's uh, it's no less competitive it's a full grid uh, Priya being back on with us is great another big name to beat up we can all have a crack at so it's uh, I told Andy he's got to roll his sleeves up and get ready for some action as a former world champion, he's going to have a larger target than anybody else on his uh, on his the back end of his car, the side of his car, the front of his car, the top and the bottom of his car, isn't he? I don't know, mate. He's a good guy. He gets on with everybody. The BMW was um, definitely the weapon of choice last year, and he um, it should be strong this year. The, the only thing for Andy, it's it's 12 years really since he's raced in the UK um, on a lot of these circuits and it's a new formula for him you know it's um, we've probably got about two thirds of the horsepower he's used to with um, his GT stuff and his DTM stuff so it's, it's that'll take a bit of getting used to so if we if we go back to the Mugello race longer term Matt is that something that you'd like to do a bit more of and try and persuade maybe even Honda Team Dynamics to get involved in in some of these uh, Cravantic style uh, international endurance races 
I'd love to, John. I mean, our primary focus is obviously BTCC and, and touring car arena, but a lot of people don't realize that I came from long-distance racing um, before I got into touring cars, 500K races, 12-hour, 24-hour. I won the, I won the Brick Car 24-hour in 1990, I think, dare I admit it. But, um, you know, so, and I loved it. I really, really enjoyed it. So um, it's sort of going back to what I, what I was doing back then. Funny enough, just this week, um, there have been a number of tweets about which touring car series is the best uh, in the world. And uh, DTM was suggested by one well-known weekly um, magazine, Motorsport magazine. Um, and, and somebody was tweeting in to say they really enjoyed the Clipsal 500 with the longer race on the on the Sunday. Is, is there an opportunity, do you think, to, to break the mould a little bit? And obviously not this season, but is it something that British touring cars could look towards, Matt, and do a slightly longer race just to change things up a little bit? Joke apart, John, it's something I've been speaking to Alan about, and Jason has, you know, some of the older hands in it, to bring back in. In, in BTC, you go back 20 years, we used to have a, a one-hour, two-driver race. So it's a bit of a sprint race, but it's two drivers that so mixes it all up. For the big teams, it allows you to pull big names in, which is good for the championship. For the, the smaller teams, it allows them to share the budget with other yeah. with second drivers. Good point. And Alan was up for it. That's why with, with our next generation cars, which we run now, we run bigger fuel tanks to make this happen. Um, so it was available. But he put it to the vote of the teams, and a lot of the teams voted against it. No I way. don't know why. Yeah, so, well, I was 100% for it, mate. I thought it would be brilliant. I remember the the nighttime races at Silverstone as well. I was there there for those, and, and I just think it's something different and gives you something else, a bit of momentum, generate a bit of different PR, possibly even get a different audience there. I mean, just bringing everybody back in. I can remember, you know, two driver races in the old RS500 era, and Stig Blomqvist sharing with with gravit and they were leading and he threw it off at the last corner i mean it was <laughs> it was dynamite tv it was brilliant Oh, I'd love to. Have, well, I'm, I'll tell you what, I'll have to get Alan on and see if we can persuade him just to to uh, to get that done. Because I think uh, an hour-long race or an hour and ten-minute race, whether it's two drivers or one driver with a fuel stop in the middle, I don't think it makes any difference. I think just people would like to see the slightly different slightly different tactics, uh, do it as a double points race or something like that. It might work. Um, right, Magello, let's go back to that. We'll finish off on that, Matt. I know you're busy, and thanks for joining yeah. us tonight. Um, you've never seen the track before. You've never seen sat in the car before do you get the chance to do a bit of testing or a bit of sim work uh on the friday of the race yeah <laughs> so uh we got we i got a test next week on tuesday wednesday in the honda and then i've got to literally jump on um no sorry the wednesday thursday i think it is and then i've got to jump on a plane thursday night and um yeah i get out to Magello on the thursday night so it's it's in the deep end but mate it's something i've done not done before so i, I mean it's a Front wheel drive with the golf, so it's um, I'm yeah I'm 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 not confident. Yeah, I'm, you obviously got to have a few nerves, and uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Well, we'll be uh, watching your progress very closely. It's a race, obviously, we're covering live uh, the practice, the qualifying, and the four hours on Friday, as well as the uh, the eight hours on Saturday. That's a couple of weekends time. Matt Neil, uh, multiple British Touring Car champion, and going back to his endurance roots. Thanks for joining us, mate. Awesome. Thanks, John. Cheers, mate.
Always good to have uh, Matt Nail on the show and a race you'll be covering, Nick, for I, us. I will indeed. Johnny and I are flying out the day after him. Oh, the day, same day, Thursday. The, the, oh, the full, the the full yeah. of this probably race. Flight, probably. Yeah, almost, <laughs> almost certainly. Um, You've been the, to Magello before? Matt's not been either. No, I get a new track. Wow, well, good. Always good to take another uh, another track off. Um, rather later, by the way, Andy Prior's uh, IHG Racing Diaries uh, will be following us just after uh, 10 o'clock tonight, and he'll be talking about going back to uh, touring cards. Um, uh, five uh, champion, former champions uh, this year, seven last year. So I got me got me mathematics, but we got a world champion this year, which they haven't had for uh, a little a little. Uh, while uh, Tim, what do you got for us? Just to say, the format of this Mugello race is not um, favouring someone who's never been to Mugello before, because you've got a 45-minute practice session <laughs> followed by a 15-minute break, followed by a 45-minute qualifying session, followed by a 15-minute break, um, and then I think there's lunch, and then there's the grid for the race. Yeah, great. That's the way to do racing. That's the perfect way. Good drivers. So if you crash in practice... But don't crash in practice. That's the point. Keep it on the black stuff. The point is, that's the skill, isn't it? Hang on, it only gives me enjoy an hour and a half to warm up as well. No, no, exactly. <laughs> um, you guys are straight into it on on Friday morning. Uh, we well, haven't while we any... talk about uh, uh, Matt Neal and uh, obviously the Honda Civic, uh, the new road cars being announced um, at the Geneva Motor Show uh, this week. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, They've uh, sent it to the Nordschleifer, where it's done a lap of 7 minutes 50.6. And that's what? A Not new quite. record. What, for, for a front-wheel drive a car? A front-wheel drive road car. Not much. The Renault, the Renault Megane was a 7.50-something. Was that a 52 or a 53 from memory? It doesn't um, say. Uh, right. We'd have gone quicker, wouldn't we? Well, Radical have got their new car that's going to go and break the record again, to be honest. Uh, we've not done any Formula One stuff. That is, we haven't. I mean... Let's do this. All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport. Uh, there's only one real story, and that's... Uh, no, there's two stories. That's Manor. Yeah. Well, there's one story from last week. When last somebody week? said... What did, what did somebody on this show say last week of, of Fernando Alonso, Nick? He's got he a silly beard. He, he, yes, he's got a silly beard, uh, which is big comments, and he might not playing, be playing in, in Australia. And what's happened this week? He's not playing in Australia because of second concussion syndrome, and it's not 21 days since he had the last one. No, it's actually 20 by the race day. Uh, which, as we said last week, no joking at all about this. You, you can't mess about with these kind of things. However, I am going to say one thing to you, Nick. Mm-hmm. Does carbon fibre conduct electricity? Yes, found out to my cost that. Didn't think it did, it does. Mm. We have carbon fibre chassis to do RC cars, and I have in the olden days of sales, I shorted out an entire pack and huge scoring across the carbon fibre. Um, this will mean, unless Kevin Magnussen does the whole season with Jason Button, that it will be since 1975... In a year beginning, sorry, ending with a five, since McLaren fielded the same two drivers all year in a, in a season ending in a five. Do you know who they were back in 1975? That would have um, been... Emerson and And... This is a brilliant start from the collective. Uh, I've got no internet at the moment. Uh, Ronnie here, Peterson? So. 
I, I had it down on the internet. I didn't know this, uh, but it's a fantastic Wait, stat. I'm sure it's MO. It is MO. Ni- neither of my computers want to uh, talk to the internet uh, at the moment. So I'll go with MO and Peterson. Okay. Who was it in 05 then? No, 05 was, was 05 the year when Montoya sulked off halfway through. Mm-hmm. And then 95 was uh, when they had um, Jan Magnussen. For a race. 85 must have been... That would have been louder and Prost. Someone must have missed Who a race for a reason. Uh, to Did someone come in for a race or two there? I can't remember. Anyway, it's a start. That's all I'm saying. It's a marvellous start. Uh, so anyway, uh, some months ago, mm-hmm. uh, before the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, mm-hmm. I uh, said... Uh, there's uh, someone putting some money into uh, Mauricia. Um, yes. They're looking at coming back for yes. um, for Abu Dhabi, but uh, probably won't be able to because of the uh, time constraints. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we now know that that person was Stephen Fitzpatrick. It was, who is the head co- head of Ovo Energy. Yes. Um, which is one of the smaller energy companies here in the but UK. It's not over energy's money. It's independent financing money that has uh, apparently rescued uh, Mana Marussia. And the new chief executive is? Uh, Justin King. Whose son? Is Iris. Jordan King and is about to do a year in GP2. He's, yeah. he's not he's the new chief tem- executive. He's the temporary chairman. He's he's sorry, temporary chairman. chairman. Sorry, yes. He used to be um, the man at the head of Sainsbury's in the supermarket chain. It's going to be interesting for him walking in a co- into a company that's still got £132 million uh, pounds worth of debt. 192 I thought it was. It's um, a lot. Some of it's been recapitalised. They owe a huge amount of money to Chekhov, their, um who was Mr. Marussia until he got bored. Um, the question is how how they've it gets renamed back. the team to uh, bring the Murcia name back though. So does uh, that suggest that he's written off some of his debt in order to keep no. his name there? No, what it suggests is it actually avoids all the issues with changing your name and the Formula One Commission and everything else. It overcomes a hurdle. Of the remaining, it's like six... Sauber BMW, they stay, stay Sauber BMW for a year or two after BMW pulled out. Of the remaining sixty-five odd million quid that is still outstanding as debts, of which there are many, many pages of uh, people who are in debt. 56,000, by the way, to the Borough Council. I presume that's rates. unpaid rates. rates. Um, 16... 30%. Sc- excuse me. Excuse me. I got my numbers wrong. 30-odd million is still outstanding, of which nearly 17 million is Ferrari. Yeah. Um, a goodly proportion is to McLaren. And then it all our little friends, our little suppliers in the carbon fiber triangle, isn't it? Uh, and uh, three quarters of a million quid to a driver. They owe him, do they? Mm-hmm. Interesting. So that suits it, isn't it? Somebody didn't, obviously didn't turn up and do it, I suppose. Um, and there's, there's, you know, there's a lot of people down there whose names, if you have worked in the motor racing trade around the centre of England, you will recognise. And whilst it's not 16, 17 million to Ferrari. It's fifty or sixty thousand, or a hundred or hundred and twenty grand, which for those people will be a lot of money, and uh, that money is still outstanding. But um, the good news is, they've twen- been talking to them. The 2015 been... car has already done 180 miles. Where? It's uh, on a trailer on, going on backwards and forwards to the crash test. On, on the back of a trailer from, from Dinnington to Wokingham, um, where it's going to be crash tested tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Fig. 
Well, that's great. So at least we know who the bottom two qualifiers in uh, qualifying one are going to be. Well, and we don't, because we only know three. one of the driver's names. Oh, yes, but obviously it'd be um, somebody with some cash, so line up here for your F1 drive. Well, there's nothing will to say... Will it be someone that... with cash, or will it be someone that Ferrari have placed? Um, either way, they're either going to be bringing cash or reducing debt, which is exactly the same thing, isn't it? Yes. Someone placed by Ferrari is likely to have a little more talent than someone just that's having true. a big checkbook. Can that... I just say, though, no. if they're just taking debt away, it doesn't help the team. They have been unable to run that team, despite taking in £30 million, 28 to £30 million for the last three years. They've been unable to run at more than at anything less than more than twice that amount of money. So just helping them with the debt... Isn't going to isn't going to going forward make that team any more viable than it was over the last three years well, the question when is, it ran up nearly two hundred million quid's team, worth of debt? Is any team viable? Um, and because this week we've also heard that uh, Sauber and Force India have uh, been given uh, advances on their payments by Bernie uh, so that they can go to Australia. Yeah, because they've got cash flow issues. Because you spend all of your money in a, well, a large proportion of money in November, December, January, and February when you're getting no money whatsoever through the other the other door. I mean, mm. it's uh, and when you're absolutely barassic yourself as Sauber did, so they had to they had to choose the two drivers who give them upfront payments to get through the through the winter. Um, you know, that's that's the the hard fact. If you, the point about it is, if you look at pictures of cars say, at the turn of the century, um, they all had sponsors on them. Even McLaren haven't got a title sponsor oh, I anymore. Know. I, know. I know they get more TV money, but it come, yeah, but the costs have gone up. and it's uh, Well, that's the, the reason. Why have the costs gone up, Nick? Because things have got more expensive. Why have, more that's inflation, sp- John. What, no. <laughs> what, the biggest thing that, that, that has inflated in Formula One over the last, what, 10, 15 years is how many races they do. Mm-hmm. And of course, they had a big. There was a big. It was a very expensive year last year with with the regulation changes. Luckily, they've they've seen sense, and this will be a, at least a three-year formula without big changes. This year's this year's cars, cars themselves really aren't massively different. They're just they're just sharpening the scalpel. Big changes to the engines, obviously, but that's uh, handled by the manufacturers. I mean, I mean, it's good to see that we've got 20 cars. They are a Absolutely fine, no problem to anybody this year because there's ten teams and they all get the um, the money for travel. Of course, next year it all changes. We get an eleventh team in, so someone's unlucky getting in sixteen. I was assuming there's still eleven teams in. Which normally I go, oh John, but at the moment I go, yeah, good mm. point. And there's only one at the moment of four teams, um, possibly five teams that could potentially not be there next year. I don't think, think five because I think, I think Toro Rosso three. will be three. Safe. Well, I think the bottom four teams as it is: Sauber, uh, Fifi, and the the Marussia. the two no, Broke no. teams. Well, Broke team, Broke team one's gone. Caterham's gone. Right. So you've got Manor, um, yeah, Sauber, and, and and Force India are in trouble. And Haas, if if and when they ever arrive, and yeah. if they are allowed to do what they want to do in terms of running an old Ferrari. I mean, Lotus are in a much much better position now than they were 12 months ago. They're, they're the but reverse the, of most of the other teams. But they're still not safe. They're still not bad. They're another but, team that has uh, investigated whether they could get some early payments from. Yeah, I mean, it is a bit odd that you don't get your 2014 money until final, but until, until, until February 2016. Uh, very, very busy program tonight, and my thanks to Nick for hanging about and um, keep keeping his powder dry at the end. It is the Formula One preview next week. 
Uh, and that will be... Are we going to run that on Thursday? Are we going to run it as the Wednesday show team? Uh, should we do it on Tuesday? Uh, no, can't do it. On, oh, you mean do it live on Tuesday? Yes. Nick okay. says... Sure. Yeah, all right. Fine. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, eight o'clock on Tuesday then. A uh, bit of on-the-hoof programming. It's Andy, <laughs> it's Andy Prio's IHG Racing Diary next. My so thanks. can't do it on Thursday because Nick's on a plane to Mugello. No, but we could have pre-recorded it and played it out on Thursday. Yeah. Um, we we'll do it Tuesday, then, Thursday we, then, well. We'll, uh, then we'll Repeat be ahead of the other people. Okay, thanks to Hugh Deshonak, to the guys from Jota, uh, to Travel Destinations, Richard Webb, to Matt Neal, uh, and to everyone else who's been involved in the programme, including Marshall Pruitt, Lloyd Deval, and Graham Goodwin, our regular contributors, and to Nick Damon here, up in London, Tim Gray, the responsible adult was uh, Eve Hewitt. I'm John Hindorf, and there's no time to explain because the llama has got her diary out as well. This programme is a Radio Show Limited production. Tell your friends there's more at RadioLamont.com.